again good morning good morning okay let's stand to worship the lord let's open with prayer today god we give you praise and we thank you for who you are in the second uh sunday of advent we we come we're excited as um we get to be in your presence we get to uh go ahead and hit the uh, light the candle of of love today um as we count down to celebration of your birth we also get to celebrate uh, a baptism here today for charlie and god we just um ask you to just um, speak to us what you have uh, for us today, and let us just bask and worship in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.
When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain move. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. High. Oh God, the battle belongs to you, and every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And if you are for me, who can be against me? Yeah. For Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. When all I see is a cross, God, you see. Every fear I 
give him a shout of praise. All right, everybody, have a seat. We're going to go ahead and um, honor our, the second Sunday in Advent. Turn myself on. So, I don't know. Did you have fun singing the songs today? Yeah. I did. Should have been like, what? Did you have fun? Yeah. Okay, that's a little bit better. Yes, still asleep, but uh, it's all good. Um, that chill in the air. All right, so now we get to have the joy uh, of having a baptism. And I see her right there. Uh, and I see mom and I see dad. So, I'm going to ask if uh, Anna, Jeff, and little Charlie, and anybody else you want to come up? Come on down. Hey, hey. You guys can do right here. Yeah, I'm going to get you in a second. Hey, guys. You guys can spread out anywhere you want. I'll stay over here. There's big sis, too. Yes, she's there. All right, everyone. Here we go. Look. Look how pretty. Look at that smiling. She's like, look at that West guy. She's like, hey, dear. All right. This one of our... uh, our COVID babies, right? So we got, we got this one that was, you were born, so a lot of us didn't get a chance to, to see mom and all that process and dad. So, um, so from, for this baptism, here we go. We're going to go ahead and start. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we personally and together acknowledge the saving grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The saving grace, which is a technical term for salvation, um, is God's free gift. Yes, it is offered to us without a price. Sort of, because when we look at this, um, we talk about how, um, how, it's, how God offered uh, it to us without a price. But it did, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great theologian said, a German theologian, he said that it did have a cost. It cost Jesus his life. And so we don't want to minimize that when we say, oh, the free gift of grace. We need to recognize that it did cost Jesus his suffering death, and praise God, ultimate resurrection. Through baptism, we are identified into Christ's church and incorporated in God's mighty acts of salvation. 
The water that we have symbolizes washing and cleansing, for in Christ we are made pure from our sin. The water serves as a sign, as with circumcision in the Old Testament, of entering into a covenant of faith. Um, now, many people get into this, uh, you know, we as, um, as Christians like to pick out all the things that we think we know about God. Um, what we've learned in the book of Job, and what we're going to learn a lot to, today, is that um, he has lots of friends, three of them particularly, and there's a fourth one in there who think they know what's going on, but they don't. And we in denominations think we know um, what God's doing, and so that's why we have dedications in some, and that's why we have um, christenings and baptisms and all kinds of other things for infants. Basically, uh, here we, we joke and say we have dry cleaning and rinse cycle because it's, I, I don't know what God thinks ultimately, but I do know that God loves Charlie and gave, him, gave her in this family um, for a reason and loves her and that God says, hey, since they've recognized with other things that this is their child, they're also recognizing spiritually. So don't get caught up in the other stuff, you know, um, wherever your background denomination is. Just know God loves this little girl and is putting his stamp to say, this is my daughter, too, all right? Um, so, uh, again, children are a gift from God. Uh, remember that when she's a teenager, okay? Um, you, you who laughed had teenagers, I know. Um, uh, Psalm 127.3 proclaims that sons are heritage from the Lord, children are a reward from him. Uh, there's a scripture that says, blessed is the man who has a full quiver. Talking about his kids. I remember when Melissa was expecting Judah, I was at a disciple Bible study, and that was the verse, and I said, man, I got a full quiver. You know, so um, uh, there we go. Um, but as believers, we are called to recognize that children belong first and foremost to God, and God in his goodness gives children as gifts to parents. They not only have the awesome responsibility of caring for this gift, but they also have the wonderful privilege of enjoying the gift. Because children belong to God and are given by grace, by gifts of grace, um, the parents have a wonderful privilege as well as recognizing that gift of grace in Charlie for this family. It's only proper and appropriate that children also be dedicated back to the Lord. So the, those here today, we have uh, presenting Charlie May Douglas before the church for baptism. And so if we look, we are told in Samuel, 1 Samuel 1 that Hannah... His mother presented her son Samuel to the Lord. And in Luke 2.22, we read that Mary and Joseph brought their baby Jesus into the temple in Jerusalem in order to present him before the Lord. In the same way, Jeff and Anna and everybody here, um, and you too, right? All right, she wants to talk. Um, uh, they are going ahead in the same way and bringing Charlie before the Lord. Um, and they bring their daughter and... God, daughter, and other kinds of things today, presenting first themselves and Charlie before the Lord. Okay, so we are here uh, today to recognize as the body of Christ that uh, Charlie May Douglas is being brought by her parents and Godparents to be baptized. So as the family of God, we recognize that God's love is already working in our life, and we pray for the day when Charlie will mature and respond to the saving grace, accepting Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. So let's, let's pray, if you will, right now for this. So bow with me for a prayer. Father, right now, I ask that you unseal for us the fount of baptism, um, that God, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, bless this gift of water, bless Charlie who receives it, 
so that this, through the sacrament of baptism, your Holy Spirit will guide her in her journey with Christ all the days of her life. Through Jesus Christ, we say, amen. All right, everybody up here, the adult ones. And you can too. All right, she's like, leave me alone. All right. Um, so, as members of the covenant community of God, that means Christian believers in the church, through your own confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, will you nurture Charlie in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example, she may be, uh, she may be guided to accept God's grace freely by herself, to profess her faith openly and lead to a Christian life. If you do so, say, I do. I will. We will. Everybody do. There we go. All right, there we go. All right, see, it's a powerful position. You can make people say whatever you want up here, okay? Um, so what they said, I always like to, I always, it always bothered me that in churches we just wrote, say whatever we want, you know, and, and we don't know what we said. But basically what they said is God has entrusted her as a gift to them, which we've affirmed already, and that they said, you know, even as God has given that, that they're responsible for her physical needs, her mental and emotional needs, they're also responsible for her spiritual needs. And so, um, and that's, that's what they said, that they're going to do that, all right? Um, so now, here we go. To the covenant community of faith gathered here, that's all you. It's the church. Will you surround Charlie before you in, and these before you in a community of love and forgiveness that may grow in the trust of God, and you welcome them here if this is where they choose to live out that, uh, that, that uh, commitment that they said here? If so, say we will. We will. All right, very good. You guys are good. All right, so it's the fun part. Come here, Charlie. Hey, how are you? All right, come here. Want to have some fun? You're either going to like it or you're not going to like it. Okay? Okay, here we go. Ready? Charlie, May Douglas, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, you ready? Yeah, I know. Here we go. Come here. Ready? Ready? Jesus, draw me close, closer, Lord, to you. Let the world around me fade away. Jesus, draw me close, closer, Lord, to you. I'm sorry. For I desire to worship and obey. Here we go. Here we go. There we go. All right, you want to go for a quick walk? Let's go for a quick walk. It's the effect I have on women my whole life, right? <laughs> you know that one. You know that one right there? There you go. Everybody get a good look here. There she is. What do you think? Got that binky in there. Life's better now. Maybe that's what I should have used back in the day, huh? There we go. Say hi to everybody. See? All right. Thank you. Bye. Nice to meet you. All right. Here you go. You want to go back to mom? Okay. There we go. All right. So um, we've got uh, several things here for you. You got flowers, and you got an extra hand here. There you go. And there's um, some certificates signed by me and and Kate Allen, our Sunday school person. And so we're glad. Isn't this exciting to get back to some normalcy and do some? All right.
You guys are really quiet today. It's making me nervous. Okay, I'm here. It's like when you're what? Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it, right? Um, it's like when you're in your house and then all of a sudden it goes really, really quiet and you know there's like seven, eight people there. You're like, what? who's burning what? You know what I mean? So anyway, okay. Um, we're going to um, go now to our, our prayer our prayer time here. We have a couple of these. If you, um, if you didn't get your prayer in, by all means, go ahead and do that online uh, in a number of different ways. Um, we... We have a couple here, uh, Praises to Haven Church. Um, thank you from the soldiers and the for the soldiers and the angels. Um, and in case somebody left an uh, angel or anything, do you know if there's? I know, but if somebody didn't bring stuff in or whatever, meet with Marge out there. Okay, that's good. So we want to make sure that you do have the ability to go ahead and. Um, and make sure that if you took one and did not get the stuff, to please go ahead and meet with Marge to make sure we, we get those taken care of. Um, Nancy has a prayer for unspoken. Uh, Bob, um, surgery on Thursday. Lou, continue for healing. Uh, Jimmy Dye, um, lost his home to a fire. Okay, so we'll let that. Today is Joanna's birthday. She's 30 years old. Okay, uh, um, but no, we wish you, we wish you happy, very happy birthday. Also, I will be having um, like a, a minor surgical procedure on Wednesday morning, bright and early. I'm gonna be there at seven o'clock and sometime during the day. So um, just keep me in your prayers there and all that other kind of stuff. Um, so just just keep everybody in your prayers. Larry, we're gonna keep Larry and the McCusker family in prayers. Larry's father, you might ever see that, did pass away, and so we want them to go want um, to be with him and the whole family as they. Uh, continue to make these arrangements and everything for, um, for the, uh, to honor his father's life. Okay? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. I want to thank you already for a birthday, for Joanna's birthday. She gets, it's her day. Nobody else has a birthday today. And um, we're just thankful that, um, for what all she means to, to this church. And um, we know that she is your daughter and tells everybody a love of Christ. And we thank you for that. For all the other prayer requests that we do have here, for surgeries, for healing, um, for those who, who lost homes at this, at this time, um, for anyone who's still dealing with the, the horrors of COVID and other kinds of things, God, we really want to um, just ask that you just make a way um, and that you continue. Uh, let us not get comfortable, um, but keep uh, fervently praying that, uh, God, you will restore our, our land and restore all of us into your presence. And so, God, whatever the remainder of this service has, we go to you and we love you as we're going to unpack a little bit more about the book of Job. God, be with us and guide us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
Um, so we are in week three of our um, series on Call Me Job. Um, you guys enjoying this? A lot of people are really getting a lot. I don't know if joy is the right term, right? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult, right? It's, it's, hard to, it's a hard, hard book to go through, but it's also a good one. Um, we have our QR code up here. If you want a bulletin that is not paper, you can go ahead. Um, it's up there. If you aren't sure what I'm talking about, uh, welcome to the 21st century. Um, and um, no, but it's, uh, it's a QR code. You can pick up your phone and just um, hold down on, on the screen of that, and it'll pop up, and you can fill that in and not have to worry about paper cuts and all that good stuff, all right? Um, so we have that. A couple other announcements. You're gonna, we're going to see some. We're going to show a video in a little bit of several different announcements. Again, thank you for everything that you guys do. You're, you're such a giving church, and, um, and I love it. I'm proud to be associated with you uh, because of all the needs that you meet and continue to meet um, around here. A um, couple other things that we just want to touch on. Um, also recognize um, that, uh, you know, Thankfully, we are in a, in a time where, um, in many ways, the, um, the COVID situation is, is better. In other ways, for others, it's worse. Um, we also want, to, want people to keep that in mind, um, that during this time, we also have other things, like flus and other kinds of things that are going around. So if you, if you are sick, I mean, you, you're, you know, I realize, if you, have you ever sneezed in a store now? And watch people, what they want to like, you know, call, lock you down. You know, it's a lot different. People say, God bless you. Now they go, God, take them. You know, I mean, that's where we are. So, um, but in, in the midst of keeping that in our minds as we hear all kinds of news and other kinds of things, you know, if, you, if you're feeling sick, I mean, we always have online option. Or if you're, you know, you just got some of the, the seasonal uh, kind of like drainage, sinus drainage stuff. You know, if you want to wear a mask, go ahead, or if somebody else wants to, feel free. I see some of you doing that. that that's free to you um, to go ahead and do. We just want to kind of remind everybody um, of all that kind of good stuff. All right? And that's my PSA for the day. Let's go see what else is happening here. All right, so we have a we have a different week this week um, in the series of Job. 
Um, we've, we've been kind of dealing, we dealt with two chapters, correct? We dealt with uh, the first uh, chapter of Job, and then we dealt with the second chapter of Job. And today we're going to deal with a lot of chapters of Job. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to preach till eight, eight years. Um, there was a pastor who actually um, spent, I think it was 30 years preaching Job. 30 years. I mean, you know what's coming. You're like, what do you, what, we go to the Job church, you know? I mean, but he preached on that for 30 years, and he said he still, there was still so much that he, could, he didn't know or couldn't, um, couldn't figure out about this book of Job. Um, again, um, we are in this series called Call Me uh, Broken, and Cho- uh, Broken and Changed, Call Me Job. And, um, and so what we are recognizing is that from the day that we're born, from the day that we, we come into this world, um, life is filled with troubles. And there's, there's oftentimes that we have troubles, but there's also those times where it just seems like nothing goes right. And for some of us, it may be a day. For some of us, it may be a week. For some of us, it may feel like a lifetime that we, we have this. Um, so what I want to do is a, a quick review to get everybody on the same page. Week one, we uh, came to know a guy um, named Job who lived in the land of? Us, not Oz, we said that. Um, he was a man of integrity. He was wealthy. He was a family man. And he was also a prayerful man. The Lord had really blessed Job and his family. He had great wealth, had all kinds of um, animals and herds and had all kinds of children. He had 10 children. And they were all at the older brother's house, so they were, they were more grown um, on their own. And um, like I said, the Lord really Bless Job. Now, in the meantime, we see this whole thing about Job, and then we go up to heaven. We get a glimpse of heaven. The angels are roaming around, and they go ahead and say, hey, God, we're here to present ourselves to you, and Satan just happens to be with them. He says, hey, where you, where you been, sucker? And he says, I've been roaming around through the earth, uh, just, just seeing what I can get into. Satan's restless, kind of looking for who he wants. The scripture says he's a roaming lion seeking whom he may devour, and that's what he's doing. From the earliest written book, which this is, um, many scholars believe, he has been the roaming lion just looking around who he can devour. So that is occurring here. And so uh, God decides to say, hey, well, have you seen anything good? What about my servant Job? He's, he's upright. He's blameless. He's, he's just awesome. And, um, and Satan says, well, that's because you gave him lots of money. You gave him kids. You blessed him. Everything's easy for him. But, you know, you take that away and he's going to, die. He's going to curse you. And then we get into this whole struggle, and if you missed, if you missed it, I challenge you to go back and look, um, look at it. So with God bragging on, on Job, he goes ahead and says, okay, well, you can do whatever you want to that stuff around him, but you can't touch him. You can't do anything to him physically. So in that, in a period of 10 minutes, a period of 10 minutes, Job's possessions, his workers, his transportation, everything, that his finances, all that is gone within four uh, three people coming up to him at first. The fourth person comes up and says, hey, I got something worse. All your kids were partying in the older brother's house. A tornado, a wind hit it, and it fell and killed all ten. So Job has lost all his money. Probably even homeless. Probably lost his house and lost all his children who he had raised. He's lost everything at this moment. And yet Job stood up to the test. He said the great statement which was a theme of our first week, naked going in, naked coming out. I was naked when I came into this world, and he said, I'm naked when I leave, the Lord um, gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right? So that is week one. Um, and so God's like, yay. 
chapter 2, last week, started very similar as chapter 1 did. We get heaven in there, and all of a sudden, the angels and Satan comes in, and God asks the same question. Hey, where you been? Just roaming around through the earth, seeing what I can get into. And then God decides to say, Job hadn't been through enough, and God decides to say, hey, if you consider Job, and he says, yeah. He said, hey, you, let, you wanted me to do all this stuff, but guess what? He's still true to me. Satan says, ha ha, yeah, but it's skin for skin. If I can mess with his body and mess with his health, then he will go ahead. And God, in his infinite wisdom, which doesn't make me happy, says, go for it. All right? But don't kill him. You can't kill him, but just mess with him however you want. Job gets these open boils and sores where it's so bad, all he does is sit around with broken pottery and scrapes them. And we talked about when you have an itch and you scrape it and people say, don't scratch that, and it gets worse. This is what Job is doing all the time. His wife then comes to him, and, and remember, um, she gets a raw deal in the Scripture, and I hope you saw that differently. She's lost her 10 children. She's lost her way of life as far as she was accustomed to. And all of a sudden, her, her 10 children are gone. Now she sees her husband covered in boils and sores, scraping himself out here. We learn that he loses his teeth and that he says his breath is disgusting. Um, next week, the, the title of the sermon is Bad Breath in a Bag of Bones. All right, so that's next week. Um, and so he, because uh, this, this is sticking with him. So she basically says to him, how can you maintain your wholehearted love for God? Do you keep on saying, blessed be the name of the Lord? Well, keep on doing that till the day you die. And Job goes, yeah, I will. Why should I accept good from God and not bad? Okay, and so he says, he still says, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away all good, all, uh, all evil. God's not the author of evil, but he allows it. So it's not like God is sitting on a cloud going like this, oh my gosh, what am I going to do about this evil and this COVID and this, all this stuff, what am I going to do? No, God knows and God is in control. And we talked about the godness of God. That that's what makes God, God. But then we got to deal with this whole kind of fact about, like, well, that's not fair. Because the other thing that we have to deal with, that Job had to deal with, was who am I? I'm not God. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. All right? I, I'm not God, but God is. And so, um, so that's where Job left it. And that's where we kind of stopped last week. Um, I, did, I did give you a little, uh, I stopped a little bit more, and I gave you a little bit. Job has three friends that decide to get together and show up to see Job. As they go there, this is the end of chapter 2, they see him in a far distance, and they saw him at a distance, and they didn't even recognize him. He was that bad. So that tells you this illness was emaciating him. Anybody ever seen somebody who was dying of cancer and you hadn't seen him in a while, and it just eats them, eats them apart, and you just look at him and go, wow. You know, I mean, that's what Job was dealing with, this whole kind of, kind of um, illness that he couldn't even see. And what his friends did at first was really, really, really good. And I think they probably did it as shock at first. But they came there, they put on sackcloth, sat in the dust and the ashes, just like Job. So they are grieving along with him. And the best thing they do is not say a word. That's how chapter 2 ends. But they don't do that for long. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, and the uh, title today is, You Have Nothing Good to Say. Um, so that's where we are. It's a little bit different side of Job. It starts this way. In chapter 3, um, parts of verse 1 through 26, this is also in your bulletin, and it's also up here. It says, after this, this is after the friends showed up, after this, Job opened his mouth 
and curse the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish. And may the night that said, a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. Sounds a little bit different than the Job we left last chapter, right? Um, Then he says, that night may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor entered in any of the months. Why did, I not, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came out of the, my mother's womb? He's wishing he was stillborn. That's where he is now. For now I will be lying down in peace. In other words, he would, what, you know, everybody sees that when somebody passed away. Rip, rest in peace. You know, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I would be at peace. Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? For sighing has become my daily food. Remember, we learned last week that he doesn't even have an appetite. He can't even eat. Uh, Just an egg white makes him sick. All right? So his daily food is just, ah, ah. Okay, that's where he is. Um, I thought that was a pretty good acting job, by the way. Um, And my groans pour out like water. Just imagine that. Here's Job, and you know his wife, and his friends have been sitting there a week, and here's what they're hearing a week. Ah! Ah! For a whole week. I don't blame them that they get a little ticked off at this point, but Job, I don't blame him at this point either. Um, And we're going to see that some things are different. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. And look what he says here. This is telltale. I have no peace, no quietness, no rest, only turmoil. Isn't it interesting? Satan wasn't too far off. If you afflict him with his health, you have bad health, sometimes you don't really have any peace because it's always bothering you. It's always there. Or um, no, no quietness. He has no quietness. And he's not talking about around him because his friends are being quiet. He has no quietness in his mind and in his, in his life. Anybody ever have, you have a mind like mine that it never stops? And it's, it's, it's having like the argument back and forth with you all the time. That's what's going on with Job. Because he's saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. But here he's like, I don't feel very blessed. And he's going back and forth with a lot of these things. And he's got these three friends who are just sitting there in the ashes and sackcloth with him. And he probably's like, what the heck, you know? Um, only turmoil. This is one of the gloomiest chapters, chapter 3, in all of Scripture. Now, we're not going to dig into chapter 3 because we've got to cover, we're going to cliff notes, um, cover our spark notes for you younger people, um, a wide range of Job's friends. They talk a lot, all right? Um, And so we're just going to hit and run. But Job is basically lamenting. And um, back a little while ago, uh, I think in in October, at the end, uh, um, the early October, I did a sermon on grief. You might remember that. And so lamenting is a good practice. I think that we all need to learn to lament, that we can complain, we can gripe and everything to God, but at the end we say, but God, you know, you're God, I'm not, and I know that you're going to bring me out from this. Um, But Job is dealing with this. He's sighing and moaning. He can't eat. It makes him sick. Jeremiah actually uses a quote from Job chapter 3. After spending the night in a prison, he says, "'Cursed be the day I was born.'" May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Job's lamenting displays that, you know, he believes in the presence and the peace of God, 
but it's, he really believes that it's under his trials that it's left him, leaving him to only think in the non-quietness of his mind about his suffering, his suffering day in and day out. And this is where Job is. Uh, so this, this is where Job is. So the question that I have is this. Why the change? Why the change in Job? The last two chapters, Job has been like, how does that guy do that, right? Why the change? Well, because even though we have chapters, we got to look at things happening right behind the other. Most people believe there was a long time, a, a good, good time after this, that there was time, at least a week, if not more, because we hear that his, um, his uh, friends began to talk and sat with him for a week. Um, but he's just sitting here. His friends have arrived to supposedly comfort him. We'll see how bad they are at that job. And um, they're good at first. They're silent. They're just being present. But their actions soon will kick into high gear. The big thing for Job is that God is silent and he is suffering. Suffering. How many of you have ever suffered? How many really, been through any kind of suffering? How many times did you ever feel that God was quiet? And then you, you started to go through your mind, God, are you hearing me? Or God, are you even there? Is, is there God? I mean, you go through all these questions. Job is, is dealing with this, but he's, he's having, here's your, here's your nice technical, uh, you can use this and make people think you're intelligent. Um, he is in nihilistic cynicism. That life, nihilistic cynicism. What that means is nihilism, which means that he's beginning to doubt that life has any purpose or meaning in it at all. And that's where he is. And so he's struggling with this. Now, his friends throughout scripture are called by another name. They're called miserable comforters. Um, and how many of you have ever had a miserable comforter in your life? Anybody? Um, there's a lot of people who have. Let me ask you this question. Um, how many of you can name one of Job's friends? Anybody? Go for it. Just blurt it out. Eliphaz? Okay, is that what you... Eliphaz. We got Eliphaz. Who else? Bill Dad. Bill Dad. There we go. Anybody got another one? Oh, there you go. Ding, ding, ding. You get the gold star. There we go. We got these three friends here. So let's look at these three friends. Here we go. Um, we have it up here. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Timonite, um, when, uh, Timonite Bildad the Shuhite, that's the shortest guy in the Bible. Get it? Shuhite. I'm sorry. Go with it. And Zophar the Na- Namanthite heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. This is where it says they set out and they met for him from chapter two, and they could hardly recognize him. All right, so they tore the robe and sat in the sand and sprinkled dust on it. They cared about Job, and they wanted to do something. You ever have somebody who's had a great loss or tragedy, and you want to do something? All right, so they wanted to do something, and they wanted to share. But as the week ends, or however long it was, they're not able to understand Job's repeated misery. And so they begin to do, as we all do, jump to conclusions about why you're suffering so much. Um, has anybody ever had, been the recipient of someone jumping to conclusions about why you're going through what you go through? Anybody? Because um, during loss, many people say some of the dumbest things ever. And I found uh, a, a blog online that shared, I'm not going to share all 64, I'm going to just touch on them. But they had 64 things um, that sh- you should have never said to somebody who is grieving. And people shared their own, their own uh, deals. And some of these I'm like, wow, okay, here we go. Um, here, number one, they said, um, I thought you'd be over it by now. Um, now, uh, now she will never go to heaven now that you burnt up her ashes, burnt her body up. There's some people that have gotten into this whole kind of theological thing about cremation. Uh, let me tell you, that's garbage. I mean, God 
created us from dust. They can go back from dust to dust. We say that in the funeral service. Go with it. Tell somebody to read their Bible if they tell you that, all right? Um, another one, which I think I've heard and I think, it's, I think it's awful, you need to get over it, all right? You need to get over it. Um, and remember, we said we never get over it. We get through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. Not that I get over the valley of shadow of death. Um, I hear that's the worst way to die. Nobody needs to hear that, all right? Um, if my child died, I would be happy because I would know that he's in heaven. No, you would not. Um, don't be depressed. No one likes people that are depressed. Um, I bet you they don't like you even more. Um, you've lost so many people, it, um, it probably doesn't even phase you anymore. Just to let you know, absolutely not. That's a lie. You should be rejoicing. Not. Um, what did you think was going to happen? He was a drug addict. Just to let you know, there's sometimes that the truth doesn't really help. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, what, uh, um, uh, that's life. Everything happens for a reason. I know how you feel. Let me tell you. No, you don't. Um, God will never give you more than you can handle. God needed him more than you do. I hate that one. I mean, I just do. It's not like God's up there going, hmm, oh, I want that one because I need him more. You know, I mean, I just don't like that at all. Um, She's in a better place. I've had people since Danny passed away that tell me, well, he's in a better place. And my response is, and I'm not. I mean, honestly, that's where it is. I'm not. I'm in a worse place because he's not in my daily life. Good for Danny. Bad for me. You with me? Okay. So I just want to let you know. Um, uh, to a 12-year-old who lost his father, someone came up to him and said, well, now you're the man of the house. It's horrible. Um, remember, others have it worse than you. At least you're young. You can have another child. Um, it was her time. Losing your husband is nothing compared to the death of a parent. You can always replace your husband. Yeah. These are real, okay? Um, yeah. So anyway, they go on and on and on. You could read this all day um, just to let you know. In case you don't know, people say the dumbest things. Um, and they don't often mean to. But this first guy that we have is Eliphaz. And um, I'm going to call him the mystic, okay, because Eliphaz uh, believes that Job is suffering in a repercussion for his sins. Um, and there's a dialogue between Job and his friends, and it begins in chapter 4. And Eliphaz is the first to speak because he's, we learn that he's older, he's, and he's also older than Job's father. And Eliphaz will not shut up. The guy talks and talks and talks. How many of you have ever been in suffering and somebody just does not shut up? Anybody? And, and so here's what we have with Eliphaz. Um, we know that he is older than Job's father. His speeches are very long-winded. He claims to, the reason why I call him the mystic, he claims to have received the message from God. How many of you have ever had somebody come to you and say, God told me, all right? And you know it's like way far-fetched. So here's what he said. He actually said, and it's, it's in your bulletin, and he actually said, a word was secretly brought to me my Ears caught a whisper of it amid disquieting dreams and night. When deep sleep falls on people, fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face, and the hair on my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood uh, before my eyes, and I heard a hushed voice. He's saying he heard this from God. Eliphaz is very kind at first, okay? He, he talks to Job, and he says, um, Think how you've instructed so many. And how you've strengthened feeble hands and how you've supported those who stumbled. 
and supported faltering knees. But then he puts the blame on Job for his suffering. Just to let you know, when you are suffering, it is never beneficial to, to try to tell people the reason why they are. They aren't hearing it. Um, but he puts this on there. He applies, he wrongly applies biblical principles. What is the principle? You reap what you sow. That is a biblical principle. Um, I tell my kids all the time, there are good choices and bad choices, and by those choices, you're going to have results that are going to be good and bad. It just happens in life. Job is suffering, and they're saying he's suffering under the consequences of his action. He must have some unconfessed sin that he hasn't gotten rid of. Does that sound very churchy, some unconfessed sin? I have actually heard of pastors go into hospital rooms and look at people and say, well, there must be some kind of sin or else God would have you out of here. Okay, last time I checked, we are all in a terminal disease called life. And um, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but it's not because of that. Um, he goes on, Eliphaz goes on to say, children suffer because of their parents' sin. God disciplines his people, and you'll be blessed if you get it right and, and are redeemed. And then he goes into this whole thing. Think, who has ever perished um, that, was, that was righteous? And um, I see those who plow iniquity get iniquity. So Eliphaz, at the end of chapter 3, says... Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. Eliphaz cannot find any reasons. And in chapter 22, he keeps, he just, he's had enough. We started in three. He's at 22. I told you, he talks a lot. Three different times. And he basically says to Job, he starts making up stuff. He says, you know, this is your fault. He starts gossiping about him. He said, you know what? You've done this and this and this is what it happened. And it's all your fault. Everything that's happened is all your fault. He tells Job, get it right. It's up to you. All this stuff goes away if you get right with God. Now, we know that Job is righteous. We know that Job is good, that he loves God, that he's blameless, and he hasn't cursed God at all. We know that because we get a story that Eliphaz and nobody else has. And that's the peak that we get into there. Eliphaz came as a comforter and ended up making the situation worse. Next guy, the short guy, Bildad the Shuhite. He is a traditionalist. Bildad has the same worldview as Eliphaz, questioning Job's innocence. Bildad says, hey, does God pervert justice? And they, believe in, they rightly believe in law, justice, and God's sovereignty. But they misapply these concepts. One of the most dangerous things whenever you're suffering or going through something is somebody who plays cut-and-paste Bible. When people play cut-and-paste Bible, it allows us to have all kinds of things. For instance, during... Uh, huge peaks of racism back before the civil rights movement. People used a quote from the book of Genesis stating the mark of Cain to say that meant people who were African-American and used it to perpetuate racism. Cut and paste um, scripture is dangerous and it, it's an abomination to God. Amen. And we need to embrace that. Bildad is doing just that. He emphasized that if Job is innocent, then God will restore him. And he says, God's judgment is just for Job's sin. Look at what he says here in Job chapter 6. Ask the former generation. See the traditionalist? He's going back. And he says, and find out what their ancestors learned. For we were born only yesterday and know nothing. And our days on the earth are just a shadow. He is brutally insensitive and cold-hearted. Anybody have people in your life who are cold-hearted? They're the last person you're going to go to to feel well? And they might even say, well, I, I just tell the truth. Well, keep it to yourself. He did not need to know this, even if there is a truth somewhere in there. But 
you know, Bildad is, is beating him up. And Bildad even goes so far in eight, chapter 8, verse 4 to say, your children died because of your sin. Now, we, we groan, but I have known Christians who do the same thing. Bildad's last statement that we hear is, all men are guilty and you are a maggot and a worm. I don't think Bildad would have been invited over for Christmas dinner. I just don't, don't think so anymore. But you see, we have, we have a same com- commonality. Why are you suffering? It's because of something you've done. And it gets to the point of when they came and sat for a week, grieving with him, being quiet to the point of, you're a maggot and a worm. Okay, so I am, but guess what? What good does that do me? And so uh, he should have just kept his mouth shut. Then Zophar is the rationalist, much like the other two friends. The core beliefs of cause and effect and suffering are very present. Zophar believes that, he says, Job, you should be getting worse than you're getting. Shape up and it'll get better. He says the wicked prosper for a time and then God nails them. Right? It's kind of what we say. Like we, um, I, I love when Christians go ahead and pull things from other religions like Buddhism and say, oh, it's karma. There's never karma in the scripture. It's, um, it's, that's a, it's a Buddhist thing. But we, we say that in our vernacular. The thing about Zophar is Zophar is the most arrogant and the most sophomoric of all the friends. You say, what is that? Um, I learned that when I was a sophomore in high school. Sophomore is a Greek term which means wise fool. Anybody know anybody, people who are wise fools? They know everything about absolutely everything. Anybody know those people? All right? If you ain't raise your hand, okay? Um, but there are people that just know everything about everything. It is exhausting. You can't have a conversation with them about anything. You can't talk about how to raise kids because they'll tell you how to raise kids and they've never had one. Um, they, they will go ahead and if you talk about politics, they know everything about it and everything else. They just drive you absolutely batty and they really know nothing. And that's what begins to help happen here. People who know everything about everything are the most annoying people on the face of the earth, I say. Because you, you can't have a conversation. You can't sit there. You can't be with them. And over my life, I have had man, multiple conversations with people who know absolutely everything. And I didn't realize I was that dumb. I'm going, to give you a, I'm going to give you a secret to get to dealing with people who know everything. It goes back to uh, the, the Greek philosopher Socrates. Ask questions. The more you ask questions, the dumber they'll prove themselves are. They are, right? So just keep asking questions. Say, oh, well, what about this? And they'll go, well, I don't know. I just, you know, and you'll get to that point. In Job 11, they're going through this, and they say, and um, Zophar says this, are all these words to go unanswered? Is this talker? Vindicated, we, we, your idle talk reduce others to silence? Will no one rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, my beliefs are flawless. You can hear him kind of going, my beliefs are flawless and I'm pure in your sight. <laughs> well, that's so far, all right? Um, oh, how I wish God would speak up. He's like, I wish God would come and kick your rear end, Job. Job's like, look at me, he's doing a good job. And disclose to you the secrets of wisdom and true wisdom has two sides. Know this. God has even forgotten some of your sin. Here's Zophar. He's beating him up, and he's acting like he knows everything. And he says, hey, let me tell you. Um, by the way, God has even forgotten some of your sin. Isn't that good to know? And he's like, go away. You know, I mean, that's where, that's where he is. And so as we look at this, there are three things that Job's friends do that are majorly wrong. Number one, they accuse Job of doing evil. And ultimately, his friends are wrong for thinking this. 
that this is the reasons for Job's suffering. It's kind of like this thought. God sends misfortunes upon wicked people only. How many believe that? Wrong. Okay, we'd like to believe that. I mean, I got a long list of wicked people that God can just do whatever he wants to. But I struggle when God does it to really good people, you know, or allows that. And, and this part here. So their understanding is God sends misfortune on bad people, and Job has suffered misfortune, and therefore, guess what? Job is a bad person, and he's wicked, so that's what they deal with. It's wrong. It's flawed. If you've ever spent time with someone who's suffering, it is difficult to just sit there as your mind starts to try to figure out why they're suffering. You ever do that? You're like, why are they going through this? It is so painful to sit there at many times with someone who is trying to rebuild their life piece by piece without knowing if that's even possible. And our instinct is to investigate what went wrong, identify a solution so that we can help the friend eliminate that. And the main reason why we want to deal with that is because we, if we get into the same situation, we want to know how to stay out of it. Right? As a side note, if we uh, know that cause, um, then we can, we can get away from it. So how much harm over the years have well-intentioned Christians caused by giving pious-sounding answers to suffering, even though we have no idea of what we're talking about? We just think we got to talk. You know that? People just don't like to be present. We just want to open our mouths. I gave you some of those, but like other ones are like, it's all for the best. No, it's not. It's all part of God's plan. God works in mysterious ways. How arrogant of us to assume we know God's plan. How arrogant of us to, um, to minimize anybody else's suffering or to try to, to compartmentalize it into some other way. We don't know the reason for our own suffering, so how can we know the reason for somebody else's suffering? It's more truthful and more helpful to admit, I don't know why this happened to you. No one should go through this. I'm here with you if you need anything. If we can do this and remain present and available, then we become God's agents of compassion. The second thing that they did, so that's the first thing, accuse God, uh, Job of doing evil. Second thing is, they accused Job of abandoning God. Now this is dangerous because Job himself is struggling, did God abandon him? And then they're saying, no, you abandon God. So they question this whole thing in, in chapters 15 and 20. And they encourage Job to return to God. Bildad, who's just a, a very loving person, said, go ahead and make su supplication to God and your future will be great. If not, deal with it. Eliphaz says, if you return to the Almighty, you'll be restored. In general terms, this is good advice. Because like, I, I will say that um, we do frequently turn away from God when life is going well. Um, or even, even in the midst of things. Like, I know, I know people who are active um, churchgoers, active Christians in this church and every other church around the globe that when COVID hit, they haven't been back in a church since you know, almost two years. Okay? And, and the message that they're given here is good. Hey, return back to God. Return back to God. That's what we need. We need to turn ourselves back to God in, in that point. And so this is, this is one of the, uh, the main things. But what we know is... Job has done nothing wrong to deserve his suffering. And just when he needs his friends, here's the whole problem with, it, with these guys, just when he needs his friends to believe in him. You ever have a moment that you're just struggling and you're dealing with something and you just need somebody to be there for you, to encourage you, to walk alongside you, to love on you, to just help with stuff, 
and you just, just need them. You know what I mean? Job just needs his friends to believe in him and to be there for him. And just at the time they need that, they actually keep him from believing in himself. And Job's depression gets deeper. His confusion gets deeper. How could they possibly support Job when they've already made up their mind about why he's struggling? So they accuse him of abandoning God. Third thing is this. They try to protect God. You're like, what? What are we talking about? Try to protect God. We all know the demons that plague us after failure. There is hits to the ego. There is pain. There's weeping. There's suffering. There's confusion. There's um, where, we, where we look at ourselves differently, like failures. Um, that, you know, when we fail at something doesn't mean we're a failure, but often we put that there. And there's a whole bunch of demons and struggles that we deal with. And, and so here we are. We second-guess ourselves. We have sleepless nights. Anybody worried about something that you just tossed and turned? Anybody one of those people that when you lay down to bed, everything keeps going through your head, and then it's like 4 o'clock in the morning, you're like, i got to get up in a little bit, and you're just struggling by, by mulling those things over. Often it feels like the holy thing to do to protect God by blaming ourselves. A lot of us blame ourselves in the midst of situations. If we second-guess ourselves, imagine how it goes when you're second-guessing yourselves like, like Job, and then his friends are second-guessing him as well. They show it how it's done. They have an eagerness to protect God from Job's protest. He said, I didn't do anything. I'm like, yeah, you did, because God's not like that. It's your fault. And God doesn't need anybody to protect him. God is God. God knows what's going on. Matter of fact, God's the only one around here that really knows what's going on in this situation. He can take care of himself. Job is not trying to blame God ever. He's trying to learn from God. And that's the biggest thing about suffering is that, that you know, I'm not sure. I'm not like God's like, woohoo, look at that sucker. Go ahead. Yeah, you go. Good job. Okay, on pay-per-view in heaven, we've got Jack suffering today. I don't think that's how, what God is doing. I think what he's doing, though, is he is, as we said several weeks, he is working for, for the good in all things for those who love him. And that the situations are going on, and we live in this fallen world, and that we got some bad stuff going on, right? We got some pain. We got some suffering. We got relationships that people take advantage of. We got brokenness all over the place. We got hunger. We got most of the people in the world living on um, one or two dollars a day. Right? And that's usually spread out. Like one day they may get 10, they may have nothing for days. This is what we live in. There are people in our own country. Like I heard a couple years ago that even in our county, that there's enough homeless students to fill one whole school in our county. So it's, it's not out there. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. It's all over the place. But the fact is that God is going to help us learn something. And the main thing that we learn is what Job learned is, blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and he will say something else really, really important. He said, you know, the one thing I do know, I, I heard about him, but now I've seen him, and I know my Redeemer lives. That's what we got to see in the midst of, of life. Regardless of what's happened, Job believes that God can use this experience. Job says, when God has tested me, I shall come out like gold, refined, and to complete what he has appointed me for me, and many such things are in his mind. So what do we do as we wind this down? I told you this is a little bit different, but I want to let you know that I wanna, what, what, what the basis of this is. Not everybody who comes to comfort you is comforting. 
not every bit of advice is good advice. And, and that goes for what you receive, because we're all thinking about people who give it to us. But I'm also going to say, let's look in the mirror. Not everything we say to somebody else is, is good and beneficial. Right? Um, and so what do, we, what do we ask when we're giving and receiving advice? And I've got a, a quick list here. First thing we need to check of, is it biblical? Does it match up with the word of God? In order to discern wise counsel, you've got to know the Bible. How do you know the Bible? You read it. Personal observation and personal opinions are not foolproof uh, help. We got to a point now because of social media, because of access to everything, that so many people who should never have a voice, I mean, they can have a voice, but that they think that we really care about what they say. Have you noticed this? Anybody ever been on social media? Have you ever seen a web page that's there and somebody is saying something and you're like, Ugh. anybody? Or you might have even said some dirty words, okay? You know what I mean? There's this people, we've given everybody a forum now. Woohoo, listen to me. Who are you? Or, or somebody's doing something on YouTube and has a couple million people. Or TikTok, somebody just goes and, I don't know, rides a sheep to work. I don't know, but then people are like, ah, look at this, a million people. And we're like, oh, here they are, and they're on the news. Like, it matters. I mean, those things are fun to waste time. But the bottom line is, your personal ob- observation and opinions really don't matter in the grand scheme of the universe. If, if you mean something to me, it means something to me. The thing that really matters is the word of God. And, that, and he tells me, I'm his child, I'm loved, he will never leave me or forsake me. And that I can take to the bank. All the other stuff that goes around in my life, meaning that people who said they loved me, people who said they were there for me, immediately when I didn't, I didn't go along with what they wanted to do, or immediately if I became something that they didn't, the image that they didn't think I had, whoo, pew, they're out the door real quick, and they're out of my life, and don't care. And it hurts, right? Because you did care. But the bottom line is, God says he'll never leave me. Right? So is it biblical? The Bible is the most trustworthy for advice. And you'll be rooted in truth and you'll understand in understanding, not moved by the opinions of individuals. Job's friends, um, friend says this, we have examined and this is true. By whose standards? You ever had a conversation where somebody says something about someone? It's the truth. How is that the truth? I just call it like I see it. Right? Now who's heard this? Well, it's already tainted because you're just making it how you want to see it. All right? So, so enough, enough of that. Um, so uh, there's, there's a, an interesting story about uh, if you were alive in 1845 um, and, and in Britain, there were two ships that were boarded by 138 of English, England's finest sailors, and they sailed for the Arctic. They were get, trying to find a way in the Arctic um, to pass through uh, to chart the Northwest Passage uh, around the Canadian Arctic to the Pacific Ocean. The captain was Sir John Franklin, and he hoped that the effort um, would help Arctic exploration. It was a huge, huge failure. Neither ship ever returned. Every single crew member died. Those who followed the expedition's path to, the, um, to this area learned this lesson. If you're going to take such a journey, prepare for it. Captain Franklin didn't prepare. They didn't prepare properly for the journey. The voyage was projected to last two or three years. He only carried a 12-day supply of coal for the auxiliary steam engines. Yeah. Um, 
What he lacked in fuel, he made up for other areas. Entertainment. Each ship carried more than 1,200 books. It had a hand organ, China place settings for all the officers, and expensive wine goblets and sterling silver flatware. Was The question I have for you, was the crew and the captain preparing for an expedition to the Arctic or a party cruise? They prepared for the wrong thing. The sailors didn't have the clothing to protect them properly against the cold. Their uniforms looked noble and respectful, but they weren't good in the cold. They were big-time inadequate, and all that ornate silver, knives, forks, spoons would be found, ready for this, found in a clump of frozen cannibalized bodies. Oh, yeah, because the people were trying to stay alive. That were left over, and none of them did. You know, it's so odd to embark on a, on a journey like this so poorly prepared. But it's even stranger how ill-prepared the vast majority of Christians seem in this journey for life. The Bible has detailed instructions on how we need to live and how we have counsel, counsel with each other. But when trouble comes, there'll be a time that we can lean on the Scripture. His Word is our map. His Spirit is our compass. We can't ignore God's Word and expect that even in the, in the times of up and down that we're going we're gonna, to uh, make it through this easily. Number two, is it factual? So we have, is it biblical or is it factual? Job's friend Zophar said, put away the sin. Um, allow no evil to dwell. Zophar again looked at Job's condition and couldn't, and just said, here we go. Eliphaz agreed, those who sow trouble will reap it. But the facts simply didn't match the observation. God had called Job blameless and upright. He was blameless and upright. The suffering was the toughest of Job's life. And it wasn't punishment for a sin. They just missed the mark. You know how many times that people have come up with absolutely non you know, uh, fake information, the information that did, yeah, I found some very interesting things out about me that I never even knew. I mean, you guys would be, it's, it's insane some of the stuff I found out about me. Um, I, I actually, my, the other stuff about me is actually more exciting than my life now. So, I mean, I don't know. But, I mean, it's, it's just really interesting to hear what many people said. Now, here's the, here's the thing. If the facts aren't correct, the advice is definitely going to be faulty. So if you know somebody who's passing off wrong information, don't begin to listen to them, okay? Slow down, check the facts. Number three, it's a big one. Is it necessary? Did Job really need long-winded debates He's deal- while he's dealing with his boils and his sores? Did he? And the losses? No, of course he did. Writer Harriet uh, Sarnoff Schiff, in her Pain and Tragedy, she wrote a book called The Bereaved Parent. When her young son, she did that when her young son died uh, during an operation to, co- to correct a congenital heart malfunction. Her pastor, she's a Christian, her pastor took her aside and said, I know that this is a painful time for you, but I know that you will get through it all right because God never sent us more of a burden than we can bear. God, listen to this part, God only let this happen to you because he knows you're strong enough to handle it. She looked at the pastor, I love this, and said, so if only I were a weaker person, Robbie would still be alive. That pastor did intense damage because it wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary at all. Every pastor, a mature Christian, learns sooner or later that there are times when the best things that we can do is just be present and cry with one another. 
Why say it then? Why do we say stuff? Sometimes people say it to control the situation from a manipulative thing. Sometimes people are just mean. And the other thing, sometimes people are just dumb. They don't know what to say, and they just say. I can tell by looking at your face, you're like, yep. So much of what Job's friend said might have had some level of truth to it, but it was unnecessary at this time. Number four, is it teachable? Job learned, and we do too. Job eventually passed on things. I've shared with you with the loss of mom and dad, with the stuff that's going on um, with my kids and the family over the last couple years, with um, the loss of, of Danny, with, uh, with several other kinds of losses and other kinds of struggles in my life that um, I'm not going to go into all those. You know, some of them I can just tell you, and, and then even telling you last week about my, my health situation that I'm, that I'm dealing with right now. All those things are here, but I'm learning something. I don't like learning something. I figured I'm 50 years old. I learned enough, all right? Um, but but I'm lear- I, I learned a lot more. Like I said last week, I learned a lot more about, about what it truly feels like to lose a parent. I've learned way too much over the last couple of years what it's like to lose friends because I've lost two of the closest friends to me in my life. Um, I'm lear- learning what it's like to have this thing that maybe that's probably going to be with me for the rest of my life and deal with it. I'm, I'm learning what it's like to not be able to get through to people that you love. I'm learning what it's like to have people that you love who maybe really didn't love you in the first place the way they just left your life. I'm learning a lot, but I'm still going through the pain. And that's okay. Because what I can do with that is help somebody else with it. Job never gained an answer to his suffering, but he gained a lot of insight into the nature of God. And we need to remember, and we're still talking about Job's faith these many, many, many years ago. Number five, is it possible that there is no answer? We love that, don't we, in this day and age where we can Google it. I remember first when the, you know, because as a pastor, for the last 25, 30 years, people believe that I, um, I know every section of the Bible, that I'm a walking concordance. And I loved when they came out with those little digital Bibles. I say, let me get back to you. And I go, oh, it's right here. And they'd be like, oh, you're amazing. I said, yeah, I know. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's what happens. There's sometimes we don't know the answer, and we aren't used to that in life. Later, he has another friend. His name is Elihu, and he's very self-reverted. And he gets after Job for, sin- for suffering, for sinning in the midst of his suffering. Job, I know you're suffering, and I don't fully believe that this is caused because of that, but while you're suffering, quit sinning and griping. And that's where he comes about. Job's questions of why disappeared the moment, and, and, and right after he says that, Job's whys, and we'll see this, disappear the moment he has an encounter with God. So my question to you is, my thing to you is, if you're struggling and you're dealing with stuff, have an encounter with the living God, and the wise will go by the wayside. Number six, the last one, as the worship team can come on up. Is it spoken in love? Is it spoken in love? These long-running dialogues between Job and his friends become more and more heated. The men begin to struggle with the question of suffering. Bill Dad takes a cheap shot at Job's children. He says, when your children sinned against God, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. It became more 
about them being right than Job being comforted. The, the key point, the crux of advice is if advice is given biblically, factually, and necessary, it will always be followed with love. Paul urged the church in Corinth, urged the church in Ephesus to speak the truth in love. We know from every wedding we've ever been to that he says, if I speak with the voice of an angel, but I don't have love, I'm just a loud clanging symbol. Give us one, Justin, give us a symbol. Give us a loud clanging one. There you go. It's like Charlie Brown's teacher. Womp, 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 womp. That's what you hear. So in closing, in Job 42, when we get there, God shows up. Because here's something you need to know. God always shows up. And you know what God does? He goes after his friends and denounces them about the fake wisdom that they were given to him. And he, God does a spin on it. And I love this is where God, he says, you know what? You're all in trouble. You three are in trouble. But if Job prays for you, I may let you go. At that moment, I would have been Job like, get him, God, you know. Um, that boil thing, hit him, you know. Um, and Job prays for him because that tells you who Job is. And it is. Job's act of praying on their behalf reminds us that he prayed every day for his kids. And so he knew it wasn't his fault. He knew it just happened. Part of our recovery from failure and loss, we should pray for those who tormented us and who doubted us and who, who gave us extra in the grieving. Jesus even called us to pray for our enemies. I love this quote from William Gurnall about Job's friends. Job's friends chose the right time to visit him, but took not the right course of improving their visit. Had they spent the time in praying for him, which they did in hot disputes with him, they would have profited him and pleased God more. In your life, who are you giving advice to? In your life, who are you receiving advice from? Hopefully not, it's not Bildad. Hopefully it's God. And it's the word of God and people who love you. I'm going to ask that you stand right now as we pray. I'm going to our last, um, our last song of the day in, in worship. God, we come to you at this moment as we close out the sermon. This is a little bit different one. We're covering a billion different cha uh, chapters in this book. And, um, and God, I don't know about you, but all week I've been spending time like naming my bill dads and my, uh, and my shoe heights all over the place. I've been like, oh, yeah, that person's that one, that person's this one. Oh, God, I ask right now that you help me see where I am, Eliphaz where I just ramble on, which some people think I may have today, but um, where I just ramble on because I want an answer in somebody else's life. But Lord, help me, help me not to, to talk so much. Help me not to ramble on so much. Help me just be present. God, help me to just to just love somebody for who they are. That in whatever they're going through, even if for me it's not a big deal what they're suffering, for them it is. And the answer to the age-old question is simply this. Yes, I am my brother's keeper. So God, um, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of not being, uh, I'm guilty of being a miserable comforter. But thank you, God, that um, even in the midst of my, my suffering, that when I've heard some of the dumbest things in the world that people have said to me, some 
intentional, some just trying to think of something. Help me learn from it. Help me go ahead and just be able to, to, to find something to, that leads people to you. Help me not lose sight like Job began to in the beginning of, of verse 3 where his, his own pain, and I get it, God. I've had moments over the last couple years and throughout my life where I've sat there and said, man, I wish I was not even born. I wish I was not here at all. You're taking people around me. What about me? Let's just get it over with. I understand the depths of Job's sorrow. But God, as Job said, you are refining me. You're refining me like gold so that you have things for me to do and to accomplish. And I can only do that with my Redeemer. So God, fill this place right now. There are some people right now who need some advice of things in their lives. They're getting all kinds of advice back and forth. They don't know where to turn. But God, let them make sure that all those things we shared at the end. But most of all, God, let them lean on you. Where you can say, as the scripture says, this is the way. Walk in it. I give you praise for who you are, Father. And as we open up and the altar's open, if anybody wants to pray with someone, as we receive your, your tithe and, and our offerings, God, bless them to further your ministry here and around the world. God, I know it looks bad and it looks grim and we have all this kind of crazy stuff out there. But God, we believe, we believe that this is the time for revival. That God, you have, you have separated wheat and chaff. That you have um, called your people to serve you. And during this time, we believe that you are, are, are going to bring bring wholeness and healing. Or God, just come and get us today, and we'll be happy with that. And we give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says, amen. can be moved They say these chains will never break But they don't know you like we do There is power in your name We've heard that there is no way the tide will never change they haven't seen what you can do there is power in your name so much power in your God, we believe. 
unmovable, break the unbreakable. God, we believe. God, we believe for which from the impossible we'll see a Do you believe for it? Do you believe for it? All right, there we go. All right, next week, bad breath and a bag of bones. So come back next week. God bless. And, hey, baby, congratulations. There we go. Have a good day.